an epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Chasing Life. Three out of four U.S. adults are considered overweight or have obesity. 75% of Americans. Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford. Our weight is one factor that plays a role in our health. But by itself, it doesn't give us the full story of who we are. We have to look at our full person. Listen to Chasing Life, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Bases Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Zuni Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson coming at you once again, and we've got a great show for you. It's Christian Pina of the Gambling Podcast Network going to be joining me in the second segment. In the final segment, I do give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board and a little something I'd like to call Touch Them All. Typically, this is a part of the podcast where I answer Twitter questions. Do not get in any for today. If you have something that you'd like to address on the podcast, feel free to tweet it in at GNRSquared1. So without further ado, let's take a look back at yesterday's results. Let's try to find some trends and let's try to become better handicappers in general. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. The New York Yankees got some good pitching as they take down the Toronto Blue Jays by a count of 4-2. All three games in this series straight under as Marcus Stroman delivered a pretty good outing in this one. Six innings pitch, he gives up three runs, and then from there... You got two pretty solid innings out of Derek Law and Justin Schaefer. They gave up a combined one run in their two innings. And for the Toronto Blue Jays, a pair of home runs in this one. Eric Sogard is 10th of the year and Randall Grichik is 16th. But the New York Yankees were able to get a unexpected home run from Mark Tauchman. That was his fifth of the campaign. And Masahiro Tanaka was not really Tanaka around. He did give up two runs in his six innings, both of which were solo home runs. But then you had Adam Adovino, Tommy Canely, Zach Britton, and Aroldis Chapman combined to give up no earned runs in their three innings of relief. So the Yankees' bullpen continues to get the job done, though the overs seem to be drying up with them a little bit. 
The Tampa Bay Rays certainly put on a tremendous pitching display as they take down the Tampa Bay Rays by a count of 4-1. They took a combined perfect game into the ninth inning for the Tampa Bay Rays. Ryan Sanding, two perfect innings, and then Ryan Yarbrough was able to make it into the ninth inning while still having the thing perfect. He wound up giving up a couple hits out there in the ninth inning. He wound up giving up a run in the process, but the team was able to cobble it together from there. And oh, by the way, the Tampa Bay Rays have now won 48 out of their 55 games. I had two plus runs. You want to note that. And in this one, Mark Bruceo goes deep for his fourth home run of the year, and Austin Meadows is 13th. For the Baltimore Orioles, surprisingly some decent bullpen pitching. They had three guys go combined, three and a third innings, no earned runs as Thomas E. Shellman winds up getting the start in this one. Five and two thirds innings. He gives up four runs, including those two home runs. And for the Baltimore Orioles, they just were able to muster absolutely nothing on offense. So that was their issue there. The Washington Nationals have been having an issue with the bullpen for most of the year, but in this one, it was more or less the offense that had the issues as they lose to the Philadelphia Phillies by a count of 4-3. to three. Now, Mikel Franco did walk it off with a home run, but for the Washington Nationals, they did get some solid bullpen pitching, two and a third innings before Grace gives up that home run to Mikel Franco. They hadn't given up a single run, and Anibal Sanchez, another good start in this one. He goes six innings. He gives up three runs, all of which were earned, including a home run. As Franco, it's his 15th home run of the year to be able to end it, and JT Riomito is 11th. But for the Philadelphia Phillies, you also got a quality start out of Jake Arrieta, something you haven't seen a lot of recently. Five innings pitch, he gives up one earned runs. J.D. Hammer did get hammered. He gets one out and he gives up two runs, but the Philadelphia Phillies go four combined innings out of the bullpen, giving up two runs. Not necessarily too bad for them and for the Washington Nationals. They weren't able to really get a whole lot of power going as no home runs in this one for them. There were not a lot of home runs hit in Cleveland on Sunday as the Indians get a 4-3 win over the Minnesota Twins. For the Twins, Jose Barrios wound up giving up a couple runs. He only goes five innings, a little bit uncharacteristic for him. He's been going six-plus in nearly all of them. He winds up giving up three runs, all of which were earned. And then from there, the bullpen wasn't necessarily too bad. Three innings pitched from the bullpen, they give up one run. And for the Cleveland Indians, the difference maker in this one was Carlos Santana. He hits his 21st home run of the year. He has really heated up with the bat. And Shane Bieber, not a great start, but not a bad start. He was following up, being the All-Star Game MVP. Six and a third innings, he gives up three runs, all of which were earned. Nine punch outs for him. But the Cleveland Indians, who have the top open ERA out there in the big leagues, they do the job. Two and two-thirds innings, they do not give up any runs, and they were able to close the door on the Minnesota Twins, who are, by the way, the most probable team out there in the big leagues when it comes to road record, as they have been cashing left and right. The New York Mets have not been cashing left and right this year, but Jacob deGrom and company were able to get the win by kind of 6-2. For deGrom, he continues to be good in day games. His ERA in day games below 2 for his career, and in this one, he wound up having to evade a whole lot of danger. Five innings pitch, he gives up one run, but the reason why he went only five innings is because he allowed nine men to reach base. And then from there, the New York Mets bullpen actually was very good. You got to combine four innings out of them, giving up one run. Robbie Gazelman gave up that one run as it was a solo home run for the Miami Marlins provided by Garrett Cooper his 10th of the year. But for the Marlins to only get one run in four innings out of the bullpen, that is pretty darn good. And then for the New York Mets, Robinson Cano for the second straight day, one yard. He had his sixth home run of the year, and Jack McNeil lit off the game with a home run off of Sandy Alcantara, his eighth. As for Alcantara, he's been a little bit up and down so far this year. Certainly, he's had his walks issues. He goes six innings in this one, giving up four runs, all of which were earned. 
Wei-Yan Chen and Eliza Hernandez both going and ending giving up a run out of the bullpen as well. And the Marlins in general just struggling with the bat as they went 1 for 10 with men in scoring position, leaving 12 on base. A team that wasn't leaving a whole lot of men on base, the San Francisco Giants, as they have now plated six or more runs in eight out of their last 12 games, and they take down the Milwaukee Brewers by kind of 8-3. to three. The Brewers in general just need a lot of pitching at this point. You at least just seen actually a decent start in this one. Five innings pitch, he gives up two runs, only one of which were, was earned, and that was due to a home run going deep for the San Francisco Giants. Brandon Belt is 11th of the year, but then Corbin Burns winds up not recording a single out and gives up four runs, all of which were earned. Matt Albers from there gives up two runs as well. Things not going well for this Milwaukee Brewers bullpen. Things going well for Christian Yelcho. He did get his 32nd home run of the year. That was off of Tyler Beattie. And Tyler Beattie now, if you've bet every one of his starts for $100, according to our friends at Odd Shark, top four most profitable pitcher out there in the big leagues, made you over $100 per start. As he winds up going six and two-thirds innings, he gives up three runs, all of which were earned. From there, Derek Holland and Mark Melanson able to close the door for the San Francisco Giants. So the Giants, all of a sudden, 43 and 49, and looking like they're getting out a little bit of a tear. The Arizona Diamondbacks certainly were not on a tear on Sunday as they lose the St. Louis Cardinals by a count of 5-2. And those two runs for the Arizona Diamondbacks came in the ninth inning as Zach Granke got hit around in this one. Six innings pitch, he gives up five runs, all of which were earned. To the credit of the Diamondbacks, two solid relief innings. And Adam Wainwright, got to give him a lot of credit. Seven innings pitch, he doesn't give up a single earned run. He's actually been one of the better pitchers to the under so far this year, despite his ERA being a 3.99. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, they did get a home run out of Paul Goldschmidt, his 17th of the year. This is a lot more of what St. Louis is going to need to get back on track because ever since the start of the month of June, they're averaging right around 3.4 runs per game. And the St. Louis Cardinals also have one of the better bullpens out there in the big leagues as well. John Breba winds up giving up two runs while recording two outs, which is a little bit of an issue, but all in all, a good day for them. A good day for the Detroit Tigers as they wound up going up against a little bit of a surprise starter for the Kansas City Royals as Homer Bailey was traded about 30 minutes before his start. That led to Brian Flynn getting the start for the Royals and it didn't go as planned. He goes two innings, giving up seven runs, all of which were earned. From there, Mr. Jorge Lopez goes two innings. He gives up a run. Jake Newberry gives up a run in an inning. Kevin McCarthy gives up a run in an inning. Going two innings and giving up one run was Tim Hill. And for the Kansas City Royals, they did get a little bit of pop themselves. Jorge Soler, his 25th home run of the year. But the Detroit Tigers were able to get much better relief pitching. In five innings pitch... In five innings pitch, they gave up only one run. Nick Ramirez gave up that one run in three innings. And Jordan Zimmerman, not looking like a sir that you want to back. 701 ERA in four innings pitch, he gave up seven runs, all of which were earned. But just a very encouraging sign in general that the Detroit Tigers were able to pound out 19 hits, including a Gordon Beckham home run, his fourth of the campaign. The Pittsburgh Pirates just had a woeful series against the Chicago Cubs. They get swept in this one. And the Cubs now 32-16 and at Wrigley Field so far this year as they take down the Buckles by a count of 8-3. to three. Trevor Williams certainly walked the plank as he went five and a third innings, giving up eight runs, all of which were earned, including three home runs. Keep in mind, Trevor Williams had the best ERA after the All-Star break of any qualified starter in the big leagues last year as going deep for the Chicago Cubs. Jason Award is 15th home run of the year. Edward Armora Jr. is 9th, and Kyle Schwarber is 19th. And Jose Quintana, another Jose Quintana start. Six innings pitch, he gives up three runs. This is pretty much EMO. He is very easy to predict because that seems to be his line in every start. But then from there, Kyle Ryan, Tyler Chatwood, Brandon Kitzler all go an inning without giving up a run, so very good on them. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, they really weren't able to supply a lot of power, and they didn't do well with men in scoring position, two of six there. Though the good news is, 
They did have some solid relief pitching as Felipe Vasquez, Francisco Lariano, and Richard Rodriguez were all able to bridge a gap two and two-thirds innings. They didn't give up a single run there. The Houston Astros were doing a little bit of everything right on Sunday as they take down the Texas Rangers by kind of 12-4. to four. For the Houston Astros, Jose Altuve was able to get online. His 12th home run of the year, and Yuri Uriel just continues to say hot. His 16th home run of the year. This is a Houston Astros team that ranks in the top three in almost every batting metric possible, aside from maybe home runs. They are now starting to hit their peak with Jose Altuve and George Springer back in the fold. And for the Texas Rangers, Ariel Gerardo, another rough start. Ever since the middle of June, things have not went well for him. Four innings, but he gives up five runs, all of which were earned. And then you had the bullpen really give it up. Jesse Biddle gives up three runs in an inning. Kyle Bird goes two innings. He gives up three runs himself. Though for the Texas Rangers, it was encouraging that a lot of the guys that have been doing a good job with their batting average were able to get the RBI for this team, but they weren't able to get any home runs. Meanwhile, for the Houston Astros, quality start from Justin Verlander. Six innings pitch, he gives up two runs, both of which were earned, but the bigger thing with him, didn't give up a single home run, as Chris Savinsky also gave up two runs out of the bullpen, which has been a little bit of an issue for the Astros recently, but all in all, they were able to get the job done there. The overs at Coors Field are just insane. With Nolan Arenado resting, with Joey Votto resting, Charlie Blackman, and I think that Yasiel Puig was also resting before he got a pinch hit opportunity as well. You still had the total of 14 be no match for these teams as the Colorado Rockies get a 10-9 win over the Cincinnati Reds. For the Reds, Jose Peraza was able to get a home run his sixth of the year, but they were just doing a very good job of being able to exploit a couple errors of the Colorado Rockies as the Cincinnati Reds had three themselves. For the Colorado Rockies, Antonio Senzatella had probably the worst line you're ever going to see for a starting pitcher that gets a win. Five and a third innings, he gives up eight runs, all of which were earned from there. You did have Scott Oberg and Wade Davis provide a combined three scoreless innings, and Jesus Tinoco winds up giving up that solo home run to Jose Peraza as he records two outs and gives up a run. But for the Colorado Rockies, they were able to get all their 10 runs without getting a single home run. As for the Cincinnati Reds, Tyler Molly. Another terrible start. Four and a third innings. He gives up 10 runs. Now, he was hurt by those errors. Only six of them were earned, but the Reds are now 4-19 and 19 in the last 23 times that Molly starts. And you got to give it to the bullpen in this one for the Cincinnati Reds. It is one of the better ones out there in the big leagues. They go and combine three and two-thirds innings, and they don't give up a single run. So, a little bit of a tip of the cap there. Tip of the cap to the LA Angels as they wind up sweeping the Seattle Mariners by kind of 6-3. to three. This team is playing some inspired baseball, and they covered the run line in all three of those games. An unlikely source of power, by the way, is what lifted the Angels over the top as Matt Theus's three-run home run was the difference maker. The game was 3-3 three to three going into the bottom of the eighth. He winds up hitting his first home run of the year, and then you also had a home run off of the bat of Cole Calhoun, his 21st. Yusei Kikuchi, who has been such a good over-pitcher all year long, entered into this start having all but three of his starts go over. He actually wasn't too bad in this one, and this is his fourth under, and... Each of his last two starts have now went under, so perhaps that's drying up. He went four innings, giving up three runs, all of which were earned. You did have some decent bullpen pitching, I guess you could say, for the Seattle Mariners. They go four innings, giving up three runs. At least for their standards, that's decent. But for the Seattle Mariners, they did get a pair of home runs as well. Austin Nola, not to be confused with Aaron Nola, his second home run of the year. And Domingo Santana is 19th, as for the LA Angels. Jose Suarez looks like a starting pitcher that you don't really want a big part of. The team has been winning a lot of his starts, but he goes four and a third innings, giving up three runs, including two home runs. But then the bullpen of the Angels combines for four and two-thirds innings. 
They don't give up a single run. It was Nick Ramirez, Cam Bedrosian, Ty Buttery, and Hansel Robles all being able to do the job. And the Angels look to be playing some inspired baseball, and they've gotten themselves back in the AL wildcard hunt. The A's are right in the meat of the wildcard hunt, and they take down the Chicago White Sox by a count of 3-2. to two. Ronaldo Lopez with probably his best start of the year. Six innings pitch. He gives up one run, but it was an unearned run. And then from there, it was Evan Marshall that gave up a run out of the bullpen for the Chicago White Sox. And Jace Fry winds up taking the loss as the run that he gave up also unearned. As for the Chicago White Sox, a pair of errors really hurt them. And one thing that did help the White Sox out, though, was Eloy Jimenez being able to launch his 17th home run of the year. As for the Oakland A's, Brett Anderson, a pretty good start, six and two-thirds innings. He gives up two runs, both of which were earned, including that home run, but the A's bullpen is looking like it did last year. Liam Hendricks, Joaquin Soria, Yasmero Petit combined for two and a third innings, being able to bridge a gap there, and Ramon Loreno was able to provide a difference maker in the seventh inning. He hits his 18th home run of the year. The Oakland A's have now won, if I remember correctly, 19 out of their last 25 games, so this is a team that's white hot. The Atlanta Braves wind up sweeping the San Diego Padres and being able to win all three games on the run line as they take down the Padres by kind of 4-1. to one. Difference in this one was an 8th inning home run by Freddie Freeman, a 3-run shot off of Trey Winchester, his 24th home run of the year, and Mike Soroka continues to be a very good pitcher that you can back. 224 ERA. Got in a little bit of trouble in this one, but he goes 7 innings, gets 9 punch outs, does not allow a single earned run. Tuki Toussaint out of the bullpen did allow that one run, but the Braves' bullpen right now ranks in the top five in regards to ERA, and they were certainly able to do their job. As for the San Diego Padres, they wind up leaving 10 men on base, just certainly a team that is struggling with regards to their batting average. And Cal Quantrill, actually a really good start. Six innings pitch, doesn't give up a single run run. It was Trey Wingenter that really gave it up for the Padres as the Padres' bullpen certainly has been having its issues. He gives up four runs, all of which were earned while recording just two outs. So they weren't able to get the ball to Kirby Yates, who has been the best reliever out there in the big leagues and the Atlanta Braves. Now 57-37, and 37, they have had the most runs scored of any team ever since the month of June began. And I wound up having a dinner, so I'm not going to be able to give you as much on this one, but I thought things were going to be easy as the Dodgers were up by a count of 4-2 going into the bottom of the eighth against the Boston Red Sox on Sunday Night Baseball. And then the L.A. Dodgers wind up giving up two home runs as Xander Bogarts goes deep for his 20th home run of the year and J.D. Martinez his 19th. And then I will give you the rest from here as I thought the L.A. Dodgers were going to win, but... I had to do this insert because the L.A. Dodgers bullpen continues to be the L.A. Dodgers bullpen. This one got off to a ruckus start as the Dodgers got three runs in the first inning. The Red Sox respond with two of their own as all those runs were set up by a lot of errors, but it was the Dodgers being able to prevail. A.J. Pollock, a big home run in the first inning off of A.J. Price off of David Price, his fourth home run of the year, and he wound up having four RBI for the LA Dodgers, and then for the Boston Red Sox, David Price wound up being a little bit of a tough luck loser here. He goes five innings, he gives up four runs, only one of which were earned. Both the bullpens did a very good job from there, as the bullpen of the Dodgers really didn't get used too much, as Hunjin Ryu was able to give seven strong innings. He gave up two runs, both of which were earned. Now the Boston Red Sox are a little bit of an interesting team, as the Dodgers are a couple games over 500 on the road. The Boston Red Sox at home are just 21 and 24, which I think is absolutely unique. And that leads us into what we all learned from baseball on this wonderful Sunday. The Tampa Bay Rays continue to win games by two plus runs. The New York Yankees bullpen continues to be lights out and it appears as though the Toronto Blue Jays 
are not getting a lot out of their bats right now. The Philadelphia Phillies continue to scuffle a little bit with their bats, but the Washington Nationals seem to have better bullpen pitching, but they just didn't have the bats working on this day. The Cleveland Indians continue to have a tremendous bullpen. The Minnesota Twins continue to be the most profitable team out there in the big leagues, though. They didn't get necessarily the best start out of Jose Barrios. It appears as though Jacob deGrom is the guy that you can really back whenever he is starting during day games. Tyler Beattie somehow, someway continues to be profitable in the Milwaukee Brewers. Betting against their bullpen certainly has been profitable. The St. Louis Cardinals are continuing to struggle to put up runs, but it looks like Zach Greinke might be in for a little bit of regression. Always fade the Kansas City Royals when they trade Homer Bailey 30 minutes before a start. The Pittsburgh Pirates are not getting very good pitching right now, and it looks like Trevor Williams will not be able to recapture that form they found after the All-Star break last year. The Houston Astros are now firing on all cylinders with their bats. They just can't set the Coors Field totals high enough at this point. The LA Angels are continuing to play some inspired baseball. The Oakland A's are white hot, and the Atlanta Braves are getting the job done both with their bullpen and tremendous batting. And, of course, what we just talked about, Hunjin Ryu continuing to be tremendous with the LA Dodgers. So... That was Sunday. Now let's turn the page forward to Monday. Let's talk to our man, Christian Pina. He does a great job of looking at the F5 market, all the different prospects, and a bunch of pitchers that he is looking to back, and so much other good stuff. And he is coming up next right here on MLB Overtime Bank. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. Back here in the Azunia Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. Great pleasure to have on our next guest. He has joined me a couple times, and he is the host of the Inside Vegas podcast on the Gambling Podcast Network. He does a terrific job doing a little bit of everything, and if you take a look at this man's Twitter feed, you're going to notice that he's answering some questions for a documentary that he just did as well. It is very, very cool. This is a man that handicaps a little bit of everything. NFL, MLB, UFC, he names it, you name it, he does it, and he is on Twitter, at Christian Pina. It is Christian Pina joining me, and how are you doing today, my friend? Good, man. Thank you for the kind words. As always, it's a busy, busy time of year. During the grind, it was nice to have a little bit of a deep breath during the MLB All-Star break, but we are back at it now, man. So the break is over, and we are back full force now, and nothing better in Vegas in the summer, that's for sure. Oh, absolutely. And we're going to get into the baseball in a minute, but I noticed that you were putting out some clips, like I mentioned a little bit earlier from your documentary, just answering questions on how far you're willing to go as a gambler, how committed you are to your craft and everything like that. Tell the listeners a little bit more about that. Yeah, man, the goal of that, of the, you know, kind of the show is what it will be. Basically, those clips are basically teaser videos that I'm just answering a couple of questions that have, you know, really I've either had or I've come up with or have been asked to me and all that type of stuff. So it's a little bit without context now. So it doesn't answer everything, of course. But as of now, just kind of trying to get the kind of best stuff I found or what I like the most that came out of it out there. Soon leading up to the release of the full documentary that will be about an hour long, basically just talking about kind of the journey of what is the real life of professional better and kind of how that, what that has, you know, really evolved into. And I think that when you say professional better, I think that that term and and title and job title has really shifted in a lot of ways. 
instead of just getting, you know, being in Vegas, running around, getting your number and operating in the shadows, I think it's really evolved. And there's, you know, a lot of different ways to diversify revenue streams when it comes to being a professional gambler. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, if your income is tied to gambling in one way or another, maybe not directly cashing or losing tickets, you know, are you a professional better? I think it's a fascinating conversation to have at a time with legalization and the, you know, quote unquote tout industry or selling plays and kind of what that could evolve into and kind of what's next for me in the long run was always the goal. And video is something that not a lot of people without a platform or, you know, working for a company have. And so it was just a way to kind of break into the new market and give people the, you know, real up close, real time kind of pass or fail, you know, journey of real professional sports betting in Las Vegas. Oh, absolutely. I thought that the clips that you put out were absolutely tremendous as we do have Christian Pina joining me right here on the podcast, just answering some questions about how far you were willing to go and everything like that in regards to sports betting. And I think that's terrific. And out of all the sports, would you say that baseball is the ultimate grinder sport? Because I noticed that with my handicapping, baseball is the most volatile of all of them. And I do think that that is the true, I guess you could call it original gambler sport, just because there are so many days where you're going to be up, so many days that you're going to be down. It's a sport that is really hard to handicap on a day-by-day basis, and you really need to do it for a full year to reap the benefits. This is not just a get rich quick sport. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head when it comes to baseball, man. And on top of that, it is a money line sport. So records are largely irrelevant and it comes down to, you know, real record keeping and all that type of stuff. It's like anything, if you, you kind of treat it like a business, it will be a business. But baseball, more than anything, I mean, when you look across the major sports, I mean, I guess basketball is kind of like this, but it's mostly a spread sport. So you're getting your minus 110 in theory. Baseball is the ultimate grinds, man, as you said. And you're going to have down weeks. You're going to have, you know, down months. It's just going to happen that way. And it's one of those things where, you know, this is a, a big theme that I talk about in this upcoming documentary is, you know, you wouldn't invest in the stock market for a weekend, a week. And really, you shouldn't really do it for a month. And that's a reason why, you know, mutual funds, hedge funds, capital firms, they have a you know stipulation in there that you can't really, you know, pull your money usually for a quarter. And I think that that's the way that when you want to take the next step in handicapping, that is really what you should be looking to do with baseball. You have to take a long term approach. I think the futures market is in baseball is largely the most overlooked market, especially with the inception of the secondary markets, cash outs, prop swap has been so instrumental in doing this where you can really kind of play the market. And just with PropSwap, you can really make money just by being first to the market with your opinion. And you make a really good living doing just that, kind of almost day trading the futures market when it comes to baseball. But day in, day out, there's going to be days where when it comes to baseball, you just don't want to go through it for that day. And it is the most trying by far. And you look at football, you know, just to compare it to something else, football is so backloaded, right? I mean, I know you get Monday night football, but largely your whole week, you know, over 16, 17 weeks prior to playoffs comes down to two days if you're betting you know college and the nfl comes down to saturday and sunday one game monday one game thursday aside but it's just so backloaded football season to me is almost much more of a break because during the week there's not unless you're doing other sports that i am but you know when it comes to that specifically it's a lot more leisure during the week and then your weekends really become your work week i absolutely agree with you and on this monday we're going to see quite a few teams that are an underdog you got the detroit tigers on the road against the cleveland indians Detroit Tigers, obviously going to be an underdog. They're a team that's not getting a lot going on offense. As of right now, we don't know who's going to be starting for the Cleveland Indians, but we know it's going to be Daniel Norris for the Detroit Tigers. 208, 496 ERA. This is a gentleman that's really been scuffling in. I noticed that going into the All-Star break, 
The Cleveland Indians were really getting things going with their bats. Carlos Santana now has 20 home runs. Francisco Lindor is picking things up. You even got Jason Kipnis doing a little bit of something. I think there might be a little bit of value moving forward on the Cleveland Indians because I do think that there is going to be a little bit of regression for the Minnesota Twins. And all in all, you take a look at the AL wildcard hunt. It has actually gotten really interesting for those two wildcard spots. Yeah, it really has, man. And when you take a look at this, look, the Twins, I've been beating the Twins drum since prior to the season. Their season win total was one of my biggest preseason futures bets just because I love what they did with their lineup. And if you notice this, the Mets also tried to do this. It's just in Mets fashion. They kind of messed it up a little bit. They basically used the blueprint that was set out from the Houston Astros in year one. You know, while Houston was coming up, with these next generation of players, they did one thing to kind of build their lineup and use a ton of analytical approaches to that. They basically went on base, on base power, on base, on base power, on base, on base power. And that's why you have, you know, guys like Jonathan Scoop for the Twins hitting, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth. You have Crow and Nelson Cruz, and then you have guys that set the table. So a lot of those Houston guys that came up with this blueprint have moved on to the Baltimore organization. Some of them have, you know, kind of broken up, but that blueprint just brings so much success. And it's one that I don't really know why more teams are not utilizing it. But when you look at this Cleveland team, I think that the market has a tendency to really kind of shift, you know, one way too far or shift the other way too far. And I think that they might be a little bit down. I mean, for all the struggles that you think of Cleveland as this underachieving team this year, they've been riddled with injuries. Their lineup is really bad. Yet you look up and they're 50 and 39. They're seven and three in their last 10. And they are getting it done without their ace and Kluber. Clevenger has really struggled his last two after not allowing a run to start the year. And as somebody who I am so, so high on, they have something to rally around in Carlos Carrasco, which we've seen, you know, time and time again, how powerful that can be. But, you know, when you have a guy like Lindor in that lineup, who is always going to get an MVP bet for me preseason, I think that they're live in any certain situation. And again, yeah, we don't have a starter yet. They are so deep when it comes to the rotation. And I know that they've kind of had to even pull from their minor league system because they've just been so riddled with injuries. But to me, Cleveland, when you look up, it's a team that it's not as bad as the connotation is for them for sure. So definitely, I think that there's going to be a little bit, you know, I don't think the market's going to price them as appropriately as they should be. More so, they're going to, you know, be priced for a little bit as kind of how they have been prior to this year. But the wild card, man, you talked about it, Tampa and Cleveland, you look up and, and they are sitting, you know, at the one and two right now. And I think that it, that's really, in my estimation, probably how the season ends. I'm not a fan of Oakland. Texas Rangers not happening in my estimation. I think their biggest competition is going to be the Red Sox, you know, or in theory, if they were able to catch them. But I think it kind of stands pat in the AL card with the Rays and Indians. It's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out as we do have Christian Pina joining me right here on the podcast. One of the teams that are right there in the hunt are the Boston Red Sox. They're going to be taking on the Toronto Blue Jays. Looks like it's going to be Trent Thornton Rick versus Rick Porcello in this game, but Saturday afternoon we saw a major shakeup as Andrew Kasher, most profitable pitcher out there in the big leagues, traded from the Baltimore Orioles to the Boston Red Sox. Now, I do think that this is a spot where the Boston Red Sox are going to be a heavy favorite, but with that said, looking at Andrew Kasher, you got to think that the plus prices are really going to dry out for him, and I thought that there was going to be regression for him in the second half. I think it's going to be so interesting to see where the prices are to start out with on Kasher. Now that he is on the Boston Red Sox, because part of the reason why he is the most profitable pitcher out there in the big leagues right now, just because he's on the Orioles, and every time you pitch for the Orioles, well, you know that you're going to get a very big plus price. Yeah, again, you, you hit it on the head when it comes to a guy like Andrew Kashner. Am I a fan of him? Do I think he's, you know, this great pitcher undervalued in the market, this or that? I mean, you look down his game log and the metric that I really use, as you know, I'm, I am a 99% first five better. First five and strikeout props are really kind of my go-to, some first inning stuff like that. 
I mean, Kashner, the standard that I kind of use to, you know, grade a starting pitcher is three runs or more. And how many times you've basically given up three or more. And you look at Kashner, I mean, hasn't given up over three runs since May 31st against the Giants, which was during a pretty bad stretch for him. He also had to start at cores where he was blown up for five and five innings. But you go down the line past that. I mean, he's only given up more than three runs May 1st against the White Sox. And that was really it. I, I think the opening day start is one that you can largely throw out. He got, you know, kind of hit around by the Yankees. So look, motivation is very real. And when you move from the last place basement dwellers of the Baltimore Orioles to a team, you know, always, you know, quote unquote in it, despite their record, or at least have that, you know, fanfare, it certainly can make you a better pitcher just from an energy and motivation, how much you want to put into it. But yeah, I mean, you're not going to see these, you know, plus 180s that we have come accustomed to, you know, kind of cashing in with a guy like that. So it's, it'll be a little bit of a weird dynamic. I don't want to see the market kind of overvalue him to the point of, you know, tempting me to go against him. But when you talk about Thornton and Porcello upcoming, I get it. Porcello has been very inconsistent, but to me, I mean, Tyler Thornton has been a guy that I am really high on it. And when you look at what he has you know been able to do this year, for anyone that's a sabermetrics guy out there, every kind of next level stat on him kind of assumes that he is here to stay and that he's only going to get better as the season goes on. And so I'm a big fan of him to see kind of what he is able to do. His Sabre stats are really, really high. I've been able to cash in on a, a lot of plus money with him and he has done really well. He's, he has like seven pushes when it comes to the first five market, which you don't like to see, but you can always play that first five run line. I think it's like, yeah, I think it's like six, six and seven or something weird like that with him. It's one of those things we'll have to see if the market overcorrects or undercorrects with a guy like Cashner on the Sox. Oh, absolutely. And even if you take a look at the month of June for Trent Thornton, he was able to cash some big plus money tickets when he was at home against the New York Yankees and on the road against the Houston Astros. So he has been a gentleman that has been up and down all year long. You've went down on the sword with Trent Thornton, but if you backed him with the plus money, you've also won a couple of nice bets as well as we do have Christian Pina joining me right here on the podcast. And I know you're a guy that you really look at that first five market. You look at some of the pitchers that have really been treating you well. I know that Daniel Ponce de Leon, a guy that wound up getting a start for Adam Wainwright, is a guy that you've been very high on all year long. And once again, during his start, he looked very good. St. Louis Cardinals weren't able to pull that out a couple days ago, but he certainly did his job, especially in those first five innings. Or a couple other guys that you're really looking at moving forward, especially after the All-Star break, because I noticed that last year a couple guys like Trevor Williams and company we're really able to pick things up. Is there any guy that you're really identifying that could have a big second half? Yeah, for sure. And notoriously, I guess is, is the right word. I have a lot of success in the second half. Traditionally, June has always been a little bit of a down month for me when it comes to baseball betting. And the reason for that is I really dig into the prospect market and I put so much work into, you know, who are the best prospects in the organization coming up? How, how do I grade them? How would I price them? And I just feel like it's a, a bit of an advantage that I can kind of build for myself when it comes to odds makers. Now, over the weekend, Zach Gallen pitching on Saturday is a guy that I think you know, I am so, so high on that is, you know, one of the best pitching prospects out there. Ponce de Leon is one that you talked about as well. Alex Reyes, I really firmly will plant my flag and this is my hill to die on with this kid has top five, top 10, let's say, arm talent in the league when he is a starter. He just cannot adjust to the relieving role and they really kind of burnt his confidence. Brent Honeywell was a guy that I thought is probably the best pitching prospect in baseball in the Razor organization out for the year there. But you look at a team like Houston, one of the best pitching prospects, if not the best pitching prospects in baseball in Forrest Whitley is going to come up. The way that I see them kind of utilizing him, I think he'll get a couple, you know, spot starts later in the year. When it comes playoff time, he will be a name that people get familiar 
familiar with. I see him kind of being used in that Julio Urias kind of swing role when it comes to that. And then, you know, when it comes to the guys coming up and all that type of stuff, I mean, Chicago has so many top pitching prospects, even the Giants with Gore coming up. So you just really have to kind of put in that extra legwork when it comes to that and know how they do when they come up. Pirates pitching tree is something I have always been obsessed and fascinated with when it comes with those guys coming up and, you know, for a guy like Glasnow, Ohio, and Garrett Cole, they get the best of the best from a physical standpoint with a guy like Roy Searage. And then sometimes they move on. You get the best of the analytical department with a guy like Glasnow in Tampa. So it can really affect, you know, how you handicap your futures markets when they get the best of both worlds. But yeah, those are some guys that are definitely on the come up that I have my eye on. I think that those are some very good points there. The Pittsburgh Pirates have certainly shelled out some very good pitching prospects in the past. And two teams that have guys that have been perennial aces the past couple of years that have been struggling this year. Blake Snell of the Tampa Bay Rays and James Paxson of the New York Yankees are going to be going at it on Monday. I think this might be the most fascinating matchup on this day just because you take a look at Blake Snell. Has looked good his last two starts, but over the past two months in general, just as up and good. And ever since coming off the injured list, James Paxson has been a hot mess. I don't know what you make of this, but... This is a spot where whatever team is getting plus money, probably where I'm going to be looking because I don't have a lot of faith in either of these starters. Yeah, I mean, look, for anyone that digs next level, and I talked about kind of the sabermetrics community before, Blake Snell is probably the most curious case in baseball this year as to why he has struggled and had his ups and downs. It's been really crazy. He has basically the most identical stats to his Cy Young season last year, yet the results aren't there. And if you dig deeper, I mean, with the bases loaded, opponents batting averages like 700 or something crazy in a pretty big sample size. So you know, to say he's unlucky, I mean, he's putting himself in these situations. I certainly understand that, but it's just it's really weird. And if you're a guy that banks on positive regression and you want to kind of, you know, bet on that until that turns around, that's not really my philosophy. Um, I kind of ride hot hands and, and kind of ride things until they do turn around, which is showing its head with a guy like Mike Miner this year. Um, Cashner, you were talking about, despite what the sabermetric stuff you know, says sometimes guys just win and that can be applied to positive or negative regression. You look at guys like Dakota Hudson, who's probably one of my favorite buys in the league this year. Everything says that he should not be winning. He doesn't strike anybody out, this or that. Yet you look up and, and he's one of the most profitable pitchers in baseball, 12 and five full game pitching records. Same thing could be said with a guy like Brandon Woodruff at 13 and three. I mean, you're talking about 81% win rates here. Even down through the line, you look at Clayton Kershaw, 12 and three this year. As Snell's a guy that is a little bit of the opposite and we know how good he can be. I think his strikeout market is a little bit fascinating as well, because while he was struggling, he was striking nobody out. But, you know, through his really good starts, he K's everybody. Look at 12 K's versus Texas, down on through the line, 12 K's against the Yankees, 9 K's when he faced them back to back on May 18th and May 12th, only with five in the last one. So I think a Snell K prop makes some sense if you think the good Snell is going to show up. But from a game perspective, I really agree with you. I would look at the weekend for sure. I am right there with you as Christian Pina joining me right here on the podcast. And is there anything else standing out to you on Monday? I think that We've got a lot of interesting NL teams just because they're all so closely bunched together. The Giants and the Rockies are going to be going at it. You've got the Brewers and the Atlanta Braves, the Pirates and the Cardinals. You've got a lot of teams that are right in the thick trying to figure out whether they're going to be buyers and sellers. And at this point, it's a jumbled mess, and we're going to have to see how it plays out the next two weeks because this is going to be season-defining for so many of these teams. 
It really is, man. And when you look down through the line for Monday, Kyle Hendricks going at home where he has been one of the best home pitchers in baseball for a very long time. I mean, you look, he's been amazing at home going up against really my you know, one of Cy Young picks in the National League in Luis Castillo. And he's at home. He is probably, I would rank them for, as far as home starts go, Luis Castillo, number one home pitcher in baseball. Kyle Hendricks, probably you know, two or three for me. So that's a fascinating one for sure. But you said it, man, and there is so much value out there in this futures market. I just heard a piece about this. I mean, you're looking at teams that are one to two games out of a either wild card or division being priced at 18 to 20 to one. I mean, there's so many in the National League that come to mind. The Cardinals at 20 to one to win the World Series is something I think that Goldschmidt has always notoriously been a second half player. If they can figure out their rotation, if Flaherty can figure it out, they get a rotation going up. Flaherty, Ponce de Leon, Alex Reyes, and a rental or two, that lineup is going to continue to produce and be lethal. You look at the Washington Nationals, 18 to one. This is a team I still firmly believe is so much better without Bryce Harper. Who would in their right mind would want to, you know, spend a three game series in the playoffs going up against Scherzer, Strasburg, and Patrick Corbin? And they don't even have to win the division when you look at this. Who wants to face Max Scherzer in a one game elimination game? Because of this, it has created so much value in the futures market, in my estimation. I mean, in the American League, I think Cleveland makes a little bit of sense if you just want to get ahead of the market, because I do think that they make the playoffs and then you know, who knows? Maybe you get a healthy Kluber back. You're looking at Clevenger figuring it out. You have Bauer back there. There's top to bottom, you know, one through three, one through five, really. They're one of the most loaded staffs in baseball. So everyone being so close together, I completely agree with you. I just don't think the futures market is really kind of pricing that as they should. When you look at a price disparity like the Cubs out to the Cardinals with a two game separating them, it's absolutely crazy when you look at the prices for, you know, let's say in Atlanta and Philly versus, you know, the Nationals. So it's creating a lot of value in the marketplace, which I think is a great thing for better. To your point, there is nobody else that I would want on the mound in a one game playoff than Max Scherzer. And I don't think there's anyone else I would want on a podcast rather than Christian Pino, who does terrific work. Christian, would like to close it up with this. Let the good people know where they can find the Inside Vegas podcast, a little bit more about what you do, because I know that you're on Twitter, at Christian Pino. You put out some terrific work, not just in baseball, but in football, in UFC. The list goes on and on. Let the good people know just how they can get a little bit more of you in general. Well, thank you again for all the kind words, man. I, I appreciate it more than you know. Yeah, you said it, man. Find me on Twitter at Christian Pina is kind of the hub. All my podcasts are on Sports Gaming Podcast Network. You can find those online, sportsgamingpodcast.com or on Twitter at the SGPN Network. And as well, all the written work that I do is posted on my Twitter, but it comes from sportsgamingpodcast.com. UFC, all that type of stuff also posted on the Twitter. So that's kind of the hub and, and everything kind of branches out from there, man. But can't thank you enough for having me on and talking baseball. Big thanks to Christian Pina of the Sports Gambling Podcast Network for joining me on MLB Overtime Betting. Now it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board in a little something I'd like to call Touch Em All. Hey, I'm Steve Heitner, the guy who uttered the famous phrase, that's gold. And that's the inspiration of my new podcast, That's Gold with Steve Heitner. We talk sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, Vegas, music, movies, and more. Five days a week. Did I say movies twice? Look, guys love it, whether they're hip or worried about breaking a hip. Find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. That's Gold with me, Steve Heitner. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. 
big thanks to Christian Pino of the Gambling Podcast Network for joining me in the last segment. As we're back here in the Zunia Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting, now it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on Monday's Las Vegas betting board, and I do so in something called Touch Em All. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Note that any changes that are made to these plays are going to be listed on my Twitter feed at unit underscore 81. With some of these plays, they are all locked in, bet on, good to go, everything like that. With some of these plays, we are in wait and see mode, waiting on some line moves, lineup changes, everything like that. And I will be keeping you guys abreast of that as we go along. And as per usual, we are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order, starting with 9:51, 9:52 on the bang rotation. The LA Dodgers are on the road facing off against Philadelphia Phillies. Zach Eflin goes for the Phillies. Clayton Kershaw for the LA Dodgers. Your total on this game is 9.5. Under is just a minus 115. The over is minus 105. If you're looking at the Dodgers, that's anywhere between minus 160 and minus 165. The plus price with the Phillies, anywhere between plus 147 and plus 152. This is a spot where I certainly do have to look at the LA Dodgers. I know that they certainly have not been the same team on the road as they have been at home. And Sunday Night Baseball is going to take a little bit of something out of them. But Zach Eflin has not been as good the past few months as he was in the beginning of the year. And you take a look at Clayton Kershaw. Whenever he takes the mound for the LA Dodgers, they win over 75% of the time. 7-2 record for Clayton Kershaw, 309 ERA. He's been touched up a little bit, giving up 1.2 home runs per nine innings, but only giving out right around 1.45 walks per nine innings as well. The strikeout stuff isn't there, but he's still ringing up about 8.2, 8.3 strikeouts per nine innings. And then you take a look at Zach Eflin, 7-8 record. He's been providing good length so far this year. But he just seems to be, be getting into trouble late in games. You take a look at his last start. Only three innings. Gives up six runs to the Atlanta Braves. And for that matter, in each of his last four starts, he's given up three runs or more in three of them. And he's backed up by a Philadelphia Phillies team that, let's face it, they're not necessarily ripping the cover off the ball. They were able to get a win yesterday against the Washington Nationals. But this has been a little bit of an under team. They are led by Reese Hoskins. 262 average, 20 home runs, 59 RBI, and Cesar Hernandez. He's done a nice job of getting on base. He's hitting a 287. You've also got Bryce Harper hitting in the realm of 250. He has over 60 RBI, but his strikeouts have really been an issue. This team clearly misses Andrew McCutcheon at the top of the lineup. Scott Kingery is seeing his average dip further and further. It's now a 282. You've got JT Riamuto hitting a 275. Jay Bruce has been productive. 24 home runs between his time with the Phillies and the Seattle Mariners. And Mikel Franco has his average back to a 240, and he's got 15 home runs. But you've also got a couple guys like Roman Quinn that have just not developed so far this year. And then with Washington Nationals, they do a very good job of getting on base at the top of the lineup. Trey Turner and Adam Eaton both hitting a 280. Both have great speed. Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto both hitting above a 300. Both have an on-base percentage near 400. And in the case of Rendon, 20 home runs, 62 RBI. We saw Juan Soto have that game-winning home run on Saturday. Matt Adams is only hitting a 233, but he certainly has a little bit of pop in the bat end. For that matter, you've got a couple guys that are letting the team down with regards to batting average. Brian Dozier, Gerardo Parra, Jan Gomes, and Michael A. Taylor all hitting a 230 or lower as well. But Victor Robles has his average back up to a 250. Kurt Suzuki 
hitting in the realm of a 263 himself. And with the Phillies, their bullpen pitching has been better, and so is that of the LA Dodgers. But with the Dodgers, you just have a better lineup in general. Cody Bellinger hitting 338 going into Sunday night baseball, 31 home runs. He has been absolutely terrific. You've got Justin Turner and Alex Verdugo doing a very good job of getting on base. Both these guys have a batting average of a 295 or higher. Now, Kike Hernandez and Austin Barnes are both hitting below a 225, but Max Muncy hitting a 268. 23 home runs for him. Jock Peterson hitting around a 240, 20 dingers. Chris Taylor is hitting a 265, and then you've also got back in the fold Corey Seager. He's hitting more around a 270. David Fries is hitting above a 300. AJ Pollock has looked much better since coming off the injured list as well. So for that reason, I do have to take a look at the recent form, and I do like what I've seen out of Clayton Kershaw. And with the Dodgers, I do think that this is a spot where they're really going to have the bats going, and I just think that Zach Eflin is going to get shelled on the Phillies, a bottom 10 bullpen out there in the big league. So for that reason, riding with the Dodgers run line and the over. With the over, I'm currently waiting Simo to see if this falls to nine. And with the Dodgers run line that's currently at minus 110, I'd like to be able to get even juice if, if at all possible, but I'm going to be riding both of those. 953-954 on the betting rotation. The Cincinnati Reds hit the road to face off against the Chicago Cubs. Kyle Hendricks goes for the Cubs. Luis Castillo for the Reds. This total is off the board since it is a Wrigley Field game, but if you're looking at the Cubs, laying anywhere between minus 120 and minus 128, your plus price with the Reds is anywhere between plus 107 and plus 118. Now, this is a very interesting situation because you've got Kyle Hendricks, and we were talking about it a little bit earlier with Christian. He has been absolutely terrific at home. He has a 165 ERA. He's not allowed more than three earned runs in one of his home starts. Five and two at home so far this year, the team is, but... I will say one of those losses did come to the Cincinnati Reds, but we also noticed that Luis Castillo on the road has an ERA a little bit above three for the year. 8-3 record, 2-2-9 ERA. He's, I believe that he's given up more than two earned runs in three starts so far this year. 106 innings, has only given up nine home runs. The 53 walks, though, that's an issue. That's four and a half walks per nine innings, but he also leads the league giving up just 5.3 hits per nine innings. He leads the league, I should say, in regards to qualifying pitchers, and Kyle Hendricks is giving up less than a home run per nine innings himself. He has only given up two home runs in 49 innings at home, and he's been averaging seven innings per start as well, so you like that. And with both these teams, they've got solid bullpen, so I will say the Cincinnati Reds had to expend theirs a little bit in their series against the Colorado Rockies, but you also did get the bats online for the Cincinnati Reds. Eugenio Suarez, 246 average, 21 home runs, 56 RBI. Jose Iglesias has been doing a very good job of getting on base, and Philip Irvin somehow, someway had a six-hit game. I'm not sure how that happened, but he's now hitting a 356 as a result of it. I don't think that'll last. And Iglesias hitting a 282. Scooter Jeanette is working his way off the injured list. He had a nice two-hit game yesterday. Derek Diedrich is still hitting a 218, but he was able to get his first home run of the month on Saturday. And then you do also have Joey Votto who's hitting a 265. He wound up getting some rest yesterday. Jose Peraza was able to have a nice series as well. He's now hitting a 236. And Yasiel Puig now hitting a 260 with 20 home runs. And then you take a look at the flip side for the Chicago Cubs. They are fresh off a sweep of the Pittsburgh Pirates. They are 32-16 and 16 at home so far this year. And Javi Baez has been amazing. 289 average, 22 home runs, 63 RBI. Chris Bryant doing a nice job of being able to get on base as well. 296 average growth, his 18 home runs and 45 RBI. 
Whenever they need Victor Carantini to go behind the dish, he has been doing a very capable job. He's hitting right around a 290. And then you've got your regular starter in Wilson Contreras that's hitting right around a 290. He's got nearly 20 home runs himself. Anthony Rizzo has gotten his average back above a 275. He is hitting for 19 home runs as well. Now, Kyle Schwarber only a 230, but he's drawing his walks. 19 dingers of his own. And then you got Jason Award, who's got his bat- batting average back up to a 275. David Bodie. Albert Almora Jr. and Edison Russell are all hitting between a 245 and a 250, so they've been providing a little bit of something as well. But I just think that Kyle Hendricks is once again going to be magic at home. The Cincinnati Reds have been playing about 62% of their games to the under, so certainly going to be looking at this total under, but that is currently not on the board. But I have already locked in the Chicago Cubs on the money line. I think that they're going to be able to win this game, and I think they're going to be able to win a lower scoring one. 955-956 on the bank rotation. The Milwaukee Brewers play OC Atlanta Braves. Max Fried goes for the Braves. Meanwhile, you've got Adrian Elzer on the bump for the Milwaukee Brewers. Trolling this game ranging between 10 and 10 and a half. On the 10s, the over has juice of minus 115. The under is minus 105. On the 10 and a half, under has juice of minus 115. The over is minus 105. If you're looking at the Braves, well, you're getting a big adjustment of prices here. That is anywhere between even juice and minus 109. Meanwhile, if you like the Milwaukee Brewers, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 102 and minus 110. So this is essentially a pick game depending on where you look. And I just have a lot more faith right now in the Atlanta Braves than I do the Milwaukee Brewers. The Atlanta Braves, a top five bullpen in regards to bullpen ERA. The Milwaukee Brewers, even Josh Hader is starting to show some chinks in the armor. They're very league average. And Adrian Hauser in his starts just has not been good. He has been absolutely terrific as a reliever so far this year, but you just take a look at his last two starts. They combined nine innings, giving up eight runs in those two. His other start against the St. Louis Cardinals did not go as bland as well. Now, Max Fried, I will say, is coming back to earth. 9-4 and four record, but 4-2-9 is his ERA. He's done a good job of being able to limit the hard contact, but ever since the start of June, he has given up two or more earned runs in every one of his starts, and in all but two of them, he's given up at least three earned runs. He has not went past six innings in any of them as well, so that is going to put some strain on the bullpen, but with the Atlanta Braves, you certainly do have some mashers. Freddie Freeman, 24 home runs. He's hitting above 300. He has been absolutely amazing for this team. You've also got Ronald Acuna Jr. at the top of the lineup. This is a man that has went deep 21 times so far this year. He's providing a 290 average, double-digit amount of steals. Josh Donaldson and Dansby Swanson certainly have been providing some boom themselves. They have a combined 39 home runs. Dansby Swanson hitting nearly a 275. Josh Donaldson more of a 255. Nick Markakis and Ozzy Albies both hitting just below a 290. Austin Riley has seen his average hit to a 254, but he has 16 home runs. And then you've got guys like Matt Joyce and Charlie Culberson that are able to provide some good pinch inning opportunities as well. With the Milwaukee Brewers, you still do have Christian Yelich, 330 batting average, 32 home runs, 68 RBI. Yasmani Grandal and Mike Moussakis have also been very good at being able to supply some boom as well. With Mike Moussakis, he's got 25 home runs so far this year, and Yasmani Grandal has also been pretty terrific with 19 of his own. Moussakis hitting a 265, Grandal a 253, and then you've got Lorenzo Cain hitting right around a 250. He's got good wheels, but the on-base just hasn't quite been there as it has been in the past. Ryan Brown and Eric Thames, both inning at 271. Kesson Hira has really been a nice addition. 283 average for him, but Orlando Arcia only a 232. Jesus Aguiar is inning at 236, which is actually a little bit of a come up for him, but you do also have Ben Gamble sitting at 252, but I just have absolutely no faith in this Brewers bullpen at this point. The Atlanta Braves scored the most runs in the league in the month of June, and they just really look to be 
hitting their stride. They were able to cover the run line in all three games on the road against the San Diego Padres, and I think that continues. Going to be riding with the Braves on the run line and the over. Currently looking to see if I'm able to get a little bit of better juice on this Atlanta Braves over, and the run line I'm seeing is plus 145. Going to see if I'm able to get a little bit better because this might turn into a reverse run line, which could lead to an even bigger plus price. Game 957-958 on the betting rotation sees the Pittsburgh Pirates hitting the road to face off against the St. Louis Cardinals. Miles Mikolas goes for the St. Louis Cardinals. Joe Musgrove for the Buckos. Total on this game is 8.5. The under is just between minus 110 and minus 115. The over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. If you're looking at the St. Louis Cardinals, going to be laying a little bit here. Anywhere between minus 128 and minus 133. Plus price on the Buckos. Anywhere between plus 115 and plus 123. And this is a spot where I do have to take a look at the Pittsburgh Pirates. Joe Musgrove certainly had his struggles out there in the month of May and into early June, but he seems to be picking it up. And Miles Mikolas, man, it's just one of those things where it seems like he's giving up a couple too many long balls at this point. 5 and 9 record for him, 453 ERA, has given up 16 home runs in 99 and a third innings, right around 1.5 home runs. Per nine innings, a little bit less than that. But you just take a look at his recent form. It's not necessarily great. Ever since the start of the month of June, he's had six starts. And in those six starts, he's wound up giving up three or more runs in four of them. Then you take a look at Musgrove. Six and seven record. He has been very inconsistent. But he's given up less than one home run per nine innings. And in his last two starts in the month of July, it's actually been pretty good. A combined nine innings, giving up three earned runs. Certainly nothing to hate about there. And in his last two starts in the month of June, he combined one run in 13 innings. And with the Pittsburgh Pirates, you certainly have more firepower worth bet than the St. Louis Cardinals. The Cardinals, ever since the beginning of the month of June, averaging right around 3.3 to 3.4 runs per game. That is second worst out there in the big leagues. And with the Pittsburgh Pirates, you've got a lot of guys that are hitting for average. And it all starts with that man, Josh Bell. 298 average, 27 home runs over 80 RBI. Brian Reynolds is hitting a 336. Kevin Newman, a 326. Melky Cabrera hitting above a 300. Jose Azuna nearly a 340. Colin Moran, a 295. Adam Frazier, a 283. Elias Diaz, a 263. Corey Dickerson, a 270. And Sterling Marte, a 280. So you've got a lot of guys doing good work there. John Wukong selling below the Mendoza line, but ever since the All-Star break, he has been doing a better job of being able to hit. Then you take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals. They're badly missing Yadier Molina and Marcelo Zuna. Two of the top RBI guys on the team. You'd really now have to rely upon the Pauls. Paul Goldschmidt and Paul DeYoung both have been doing a okay job of getting on base. They both have their batting averages hovering right around 250. And in the case of Goldschmidt, 17 home runs. But you expect a little bit more out of him. Yario Munoz is hitting nearly 300. Trevor O'Neill, Tyler O'Neill is hitting at 270. Then you got Dexter Fowler. And Colton Wong hitting between a 250 and a 255. Harrison Bader has been awful. He's hitting at 205. Matt Carpenter, he's drawing some walks, but he's still hitting at 215 himself. So things all in all just have not necessarily been going well for the St. Louis Cardinals. And their relief pitching has actually been okay. We have noticed that Andrew Miller has certainly shown some chinks in the armor. But I do like that the Pittsburgh Pirates do have guys like Kyle Cripp. Kyle Crick, Felipe Vasquez, a company that they can rely upon. So for that reason, going to be all aboard the Buckos and the under in this spot. On this game, I am currently in wait-and-see mode on the under to see if I can get a little bit more favorable juice, but have already locked in the Pittsburgh Pirates as a play. We do move on to 959-960 on the bang rotation, and this will be coupled with 971-972 on the bang rotation as this is a doubleheader. The San Francisco Giants going to be on the road facing off against Colorado Rockies. We do know that in game two of the doubleheader, it will be Derek Rodriguez 
going up against a pitcher that is to be announced. And according to ESPN, the betting board currently has these pitchers off the board. But in game one, it looks like it's going to be Drew Pomerantz versus Herman Marquez. And ironically enough, game one is 971-972 on the betting rotation. That is the game that has an 11-10 a.m. Pacific first pitch. Meanwhile, game two, the one with a 5.40 p.m. Pacific first pitch, that is 959-960. That's the one with Derek Rodriguez. So... Very interesting situation there, but with the Coors Field totals being at 14 in that Cincinnati Red Series and two of those games going over, especially with rested starters for both teams in that last game, you got to think that you're going to see a big total here. Drew Pomerantz has actually been doing a pretty good job of pitching at home. On the road, I would like to say his ERA is somewhere around a 9. He has a 2-9 record for the year, 642 ERA. Things have just not gone well for him in general when he's hit the road. He's made one road start ever since the beginning of the month of June. He gave up seven runs in that one. And as a matter of fact, you take a look ever since the beginning of the month of May. He has given up at least seven earned runs in all but one of his road starts. Meanwhile, you've got Herman Marquez, 8-4 record, 445 ERA in 127 and a third innings. He has given up 17 home runs so far this year, only 28 walks, so he's been able to limit that, but he is also a gentleman that is lending himself to a little bit of hard contact. He has given up four runs or more in five out of his last seven starts, so things seem to be very much regressing for him, and the San Francisco Giants, they've really heated up with the bats themselves. In eight out of their last 12 games, they've scored at least six runs. Evan Longoria is doing a good job for this team, 241 average, 13 home runs, 39 RBI. Kevin Pillar, 255 average, 12 home runs, 48 RBI. The Kung Fu Panda, Pablo Sandoval, double-digit amount of home runs for him. He's hitting nearly 280. You're getting some unexpected production out of guys like Corey Dickerson and Austin Slater. Austin Slater currently hitting a 391, and Dickerson just below 300 as well. Donovan Solano sitting above a 300. Brandon Crawford is still laying the team down. He's hitting a 226. Mike Ustremski a 227, and Brandon Belt a 240. But all in all, you are getting some more production out of that San Francisco Giants lineup. And with the Colorado Rockies, Nolan Arenado and Charlie Blackman at the top lineup have been terrific. Both these men hitting above a 310, and you've got a combined 41 home runs out of them. So that has been absolutely impressive. David Dahl is hitting well above a 300. Tony Walters is hitting 295 at the catcher spot. Trevor Story, he's hitting a 289. He has belted out 19 home runs so far this year. You've got to like what you're seeing out of Ian Desmond and Daniel Murphy. Both these guys got after really rough starts to the season. Daniel Murphy now hitting a 294. Ian Desmond, a 274. Ryan McMahon has his average up to a 265 himself. Now guys like Garrett Hampson and company have been a little bit rough with the bat. Ramiel Tapia, not what he was at the beginning of the year, but you still have a lot of firepower with the Colorado Rockies. So in that game one, Pomerantz against... Herman Marquez, which is actually going to be 971-972 on the banging rotation. Going to be leaning to an over unless if we see something of above 15 runs. At this point, I just essentially am throwing up my hands. It's just absolutely insane what we're seeing with these Coors Field totals. With Game 2, we have absolutely no idea who the Colorado Rockies are going to be trotting out there for a pitcher, but we do know that Derek Rodriguez, well... It's not going well for him. He was a starter to begin the year. He failed in that role as a reliever. He hasn't been doing too great either. He's given up right around 1.4 home runs per nine innings. 3-5 and five record, 5.27 ERA. Does not get swing and misses. In 56 and a third innings, he's got 36 punch outs. And he's given up 4.5 walks per nine innings. Needless to say, that is awful. The Colorado Rockies, their bullpen has been a little bit shaky recently with that 
series against the Cincinnati Reds, to say the least, and it's been spent. The San Francisco Giants, well, against the Milwaukee Brewers, their bullpen was not lights out. We're noticing a little bit of regression for guys like Will Smith and Tony Watson. So I'm certainly going to be looking at some overs here. Certainly going to be looking at the Rockies on the run line in 971-972 and 959-960. We have no idea who the Colorado Rockies are going to be trotting out there for game two. So check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRSQRD1 for that. Hopefully I kept things as straight as possible for you guys. 961-962 on the bank rotation. The New York Yankees play also the Tampa Bay Rays. Blake Snell goes for the Rays. James Paxson for the Yankees. Your total on this game is 8.5. The over is just anywhere between minus 115 and minus 110. Meanwhile, the under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. If you're looking at the Tampa Bay Rays, going to be getting a plus price here. That is anywhere between plus 130 and plus 132. Meanwhile, if you want to lay it with the Yankees, anywhere between minus 140 and minus 145. Blake Snell got absolutely shelled the last time he faced off against the New York Yankees. No ifs, ands, or buts about that. When he went to Yankee Stadium, he got one out. He gave up six runs. He didn't have good command, but we were talking about it with Christian Pina in the last segment. He has looked very good in his last two starts. Now, he's 5-7 and seven with a 470 ERA, but James Paxson, ever since he's come off the injured list, man, things have not went well for him either. He's 5-4, and four, 401 ERA. His last two starts have actually been pretty good. He went six innings of both of them, giving up a combined three runs, so that's not too bad. But you take a look at his ledger in the month of June. Five starts made. He made it past the fifth inning in just one of them, and he gave up three or more runs in three out of those five. So I just don't think that James Paxton is going to be able to give a lot of length here. Now, what I do like about the Yankees is their bullpen. You've got guys like Adam Adovino, Tommy Canely, and company that are able to come in. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, we all know that they have a bunch of guys that are able to come in and fire as well. They were able to save a lot of bullpen arms with the way that Ryan Yarbrough and Ryan Sanek were able to pitch yesterday as well. And you've got a couple guys that are starting to fire on all cylinders on offense. Brandon Lowe hitting right around a 280 with 16 home runs. Austin Meadows, 292, 13 home runs. You've just got a lot of guys on this team that have a batting average right around a 280-ish with about, I would say, 13 to 15 home runs. Avisail Garcia, Yandy Diaz, they both join him. Tommy Pham is in that neighborhood as well. Mark Bruseo, ever since he got called up to the big leagues, has been huge. He's got four home runs, hitting a 395. G-Man Choi is hitting a 260. Willie Adamas has seen a dip in his batting average of 236, but Kevin Kiermaier is hitting a 250. Then you got Joey Wendell and Mike Zanino, along with Travis Arnaud, that are not doing a good job of getting on base, but all in all, the Rays have some good balance. Meanwhile, with the New York Yankees, they've been a little bit cold since the All-Star break, but you still have that man, DJ LeMayu, at the top of the lineup. He's got 12 home runs, 330 average, over 60 RBI. And then Gary Sanchez has went deep 24 times to go along with his batting average as hovering right in the 240 range. Luke Voigt and Gleyber Torres are both hitting between a 280 and a 292. In the case of Torres, he has 19 home runs. Luke Voigt has went deep six has went deep 17 times. Aaron Judge has his batting average above a 300. D.D. Gregorius is only hitting a 250, but you got to think that that's going to come along just like Brett Gardner's has. He is back above a 250 after a really rough start to the year, and Gio Oshrella still hitting above a 300 as well, but I do think that Blake Snell is going to be able to deliver a good start. The Tampa Bay Rays are playing some tremendous baseball right now, and I know that the Tampa Bay Rays have been winning so many of their games by two-plus runs out of their 55 wins so far this year. 48 have been by two-plus runs. 
One of those one-run games, though, was against the New York Yankees, and I believe that Blake Snell was pitching in that one as well. And this is a spot where I want to be safe, and I'm going to take the money line of the Tampa Bay Rays, and I'm also going to take this total over, just because Blake Snell has been a little bit erratic along with James Paxson, so I do think that they're going to give up some runs. And we can see more to see if I can get better juice on the over, but have already locked in the Tampa Bay Rays. 963-964 on the bank rotation. The Boston Red Sox play also the Toronto Blue Jays. Trent Thornton goes for the Jays. Rick Porcello for the Boston Red Sox. Your total on this game is 10.5. Seeing a couple of 11s out there as well. On the 10.5s, over is juice between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 105. On the 11s, you're seeing juice of minus 115 on the under. The over is minus 105. On the Toronto Blue Jays, you're going to be getting a big plus price here. Anywhere between plus 168 and plus 172. Meanwhile, with the Boston Red Sox, going to be laying anywhere between minus 183 and minus 190. And I am not prepared to lay minus 190 with Rick Porcello. Once again, we were talking about this with Christian Pina. Trent Thornton has had some very, very bad starts, but he's also had some good ones. 3-6 and six record, 485 ERA. He's giving up right around 1.35 home runs per nine innings, but he does have good swing and miss stuff. Over nine punchouts per nine innings. And you take a look at what he was able to do in the month of June. He's actually had some very decent starts. He was able to pull off a win going six and two-thirds innings without giving up a run against the Houston Astros. I believe that he was able to cash a plus-money ticket against the New York Yankees as well. He also pitched six and a third innings on the road against the Boston Red Sox a few weeks ago, giving up two runs there. He certainly did his part. And with the Toronto Blue Jays, their bullpen seems to be really picking things up. Guys like David Phelps and Sam Gavilio are doing the job. Meanwhile, with the Boston Red Sox, they're really coming back to earth. Matt Barnes, Heath Embry, Brandon Workman, they're all starting to let the team down. And Rick Porcello, you don't know whether you're going to get good Rick Porcello or bad Rick Porcello. 6-7 and seven record, 533 ERA. He's giving up right around 1.35 home runs per nine innings himself. Now we could throw that London start out the window. That's just not something that's worth keeping up with. But first start in July, five and two-thirds innings, he winds up giving up six runs. And for that matter, ever since the start of the month of June, he has made seven starts. He's given up four-plus runs in all but two of them. Certainly not going well there. And with the Toronto Blue Jays, they don't necessarily have a ton of firepower with regards to the bats, but they do have a lot of guys that have between 15 and 16 home runs. Rowdy Telez, Randall Gritchick, Justin Smoke, Freddie Galvez, Lords Goriel, all in that neighborhood. I should say 14 to 16, but still you get the point. Lords Goriel hitting at 295. One of the best players in regards to extra base hits the past couple months. Kevon Biggio is laying the team down. You've got a lot of guys with rough batting averages. He, Danny Jansen, Teoscar Hernandez, Brandon Jury, all these guys have a batting average below a 225. And with those guys that have belted out all the home runs, the only one that has a batting average above a 235 is Freddie Galvis is hitting a 267. But Eric Sogard does a nice job of setting the table. He's hitting nearly a 300 himself. And then you take a look. At the flip side for the Boston Red Sox, they certainly do have some bats that are really getting going. Xander Bogart, 70 RBI, 19 home runs, hitting just below 300. Rafael Devers going into Sunday Night Baseball, 327 average, to go with 17 home runs himself. J.D. Martinez is having another good season, hitting just below 300 to go with 18 home runs. Christian Vasquez is hitting nearly a 300. Andrew Benatendi and Mookie Betts, both hitting between a 270 and a 275. Michael Chavis has his batting average hovering right around a 260 to go with 15 home runs. Jackie Bradley Jr. and Eduardo Nunez have both 
up there averaging a 230. Obviously not great, but it is a little bit better. But this is a spot where I do have to take a look at the plus money with the Toronto Blue Jays. Blue Jays have been playing a lot of unders. There are three games in that series against the New York Yankees. All went under. I do credit that a lot to their bullpen. So for that reason, going to be playing this total under. I think that Trent Thornton gives a better start than Rick Porcello. So for that reason, going to be riding with the plus price of the Toronto Blue Jays. Just some wait and see mode as to what numbers I'll be winding up with on this game. 965-966 on the bank rotation. The Cleveland Indians play host to the Detroit Tigers. Daniel Norris goes for the Detroit Tigers. Adam Blutko for the Cleveland Indians. Your total on this game is 10. The over is just anywhere between minus 105 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even at minus 115. So this one all over the place. As the Cleveland Indians, a pretty hefty favorite in this one. Anywhere between minus 160 and minus 168. Your plus price with the Tigers is anywhere between plus 150 and plus 156. And this is a spot where I do have to take a look at the Cleveland Indians once again. Their pitching seems to be improved. They certainly pitched well against the Minnesota Twins, one of the hottest teams out there in all of baseball with regards to the bats. And Adam Pluko certainly has been up and down, but is 3-1. I will have to throw this out there with Adam Pluko. He's won 36 and a third innings. He's given up 10 home runs. Obviously, that is not very good, but you take a look at the month of June. He had one start in which he gave up more than two earned runs, and he pitched very well the last time he was on the road against the Detroit Tigers, giving up two runs in six innings. Meanwhile, Daniel Norris, just not a guy that I want any part of. The team doesn't win for him. 2-8 and eight record, 496 ERA. His first start in the month of July, he gives up six runs, and for that matter, he has given up five runs or more in three starts since the beginning of June, and you even go back to the month of May. He had a start in the middle of May in which he gave up six runs as well. This is just a guy that has a tendency to get blown up. The Detroit Tigers bullpen has been badly taxed recently. And for the Cleveland Indians, you have the bats that have finally gotten online. Carlos Santana, 294 average, 21 home runs. He's got over 50 RBI. Francisco Lindor doing a very good job of being able to set the table for this team. He's got his batting average at a 287. He has went deep 14 times. Jason Kipnis is now hitting right around a 240. Got a couple guys that are still laying the team down with the bat. Gregory Allen, Jose Martinez, Bradley, Kevin Pilecki, all these guys are hitting below a 230, but I will say Ramirez seems to be turning the corner, and Gregory Allen says coming off the injured list, doing a better job as well. Taylor Naquin hitting right around a 275 along with Orlando Mercado as well. And then you take a look at the Detroit Tigers. They were able to put up a massive number on the Kansas City Royals on Sunday, but that is not the norm for this team. As Miguel Cabrera doing a nice job of getting on base, 298 average, 361 OBP, but only five home runs to show for it. Brandon Dixon, 245 average. 12 home runs. He's essentially the best power hitter for the Detroit Tigers as you do have a couple guys that are doing a little bit of a better job with their batting average. Harold Castro is hitting above a 300. Nick Cassianos is hitting a 280. You've got Christian Stewart and Nico Goodrum who both have their average at a 238 to a 242. But then you've got a lot of guys that are also struggling as well. Jaimir Candelario, Jordan Hicks, Grayson Griner, Gordon Beckham, Roddy Rodriguez. All these guys hitting a 220 or lower. But I will say Victor Reyes is hitting a 260 as well. So that's a little bit an encouraging sign, but this is just a spot where I think that the Indians are going to get another quality start out of Mr. Adam Plutko. I do think that the Detroit Tigers are not going to be able to provide for Daniel Norris, and I think that he's going to get shelled by an offense that's performing pretty well. So, going to be riding with the run line of the Cleveland Indians and the total under 
with the Indians run line. I'm seeing it at plus 115. I've already locked that one in. And with this total, right now I am in wait and see mode. The juice is moving all over the place. So maybe when it's all said and done, I'm going to be able to wind up with even juice on this under. But going to be in wait and see mode there. And we move on to 967, 968 on the bank rotation. The Kansas City Royals play OC Chicago White Sox. Lucas Giolito goes for the White Sox. Jacob Junis for the Kansas City Royals. Total on this game ranging between 8.5 and, and 9. On the 8.5, the over is just anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125. The under is anywhere between minus 105 and plus 105. On the 9s, the under is just anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between minus 105 and even. If you're looking at the White Sox, you're actually getting more and more favorable numbers as the night goes along. This is anywhere between minus 121 and minus 130. Meanwhile, the plus price with the Royals is anywhere between plus 111 and plus 120. I have absolutely no idea why people are looking to fade Lucas Giolito right now. If you bet $100 on every one of the starters in every one of their games so far this year, Lucas Giolito, second most profitable pitcher out there in the big leagues. He's made you right around $800 or so. dollars. 8-3 record, and two of those losses have come against the Chicago Cubs, so he clearly has one bugaboo team, and if there's one team that he owns, it is the Kansas City Royals. Even last year, he was able to pull off some great starts against this team. He's got a 3-1-5 ERA, giving up less than one home run per nine innings. He's done a good job of being able to limit the walks after a little bit of a rough April. Ever since then, he's been terrific. And Jacob Junis, how do you stick your chips in the basket of this guy? 4-8 record, 533 RA in 108 innings. He's given up 20 home runs, and yet the steam is coming in on Jacob Junis. What are these betters doing? I mean, why are we betting on Jacob Junis when Lucas Giolito's been making you so much money? It's beyond the life of me. The first start for Jacob Junis in the month of July, he gets completely lambasted for six runs in four and two-thirds innings. Heck, you take a look at the month of June. He gave up at least two runs in every one of those innings. He had a couple starts where he got blown up for four-plus runs. And if you take a look, ever since May 6th, He's got one, two, three, four, five, six games in which he's given up at least four earned runs. Jacob Judas, a guy I want absolutely no part of. The Kansas City Royals, they wound up having Homer Bailey scratch because he got traded yesterday, and that meant that they had to go through essentially the entire well of their bullpen arms. Now, the Chicago White Sox, a little bit taxed with their bullpen as well, but you certainly have a little bit more firepower on offense as well, and it all starts with Jose Abreu. 272 average, 21 home runs. He's got over 65 RBI. Tim Anderson doing a very nice job of getting on base. He's hitting right around a 315. Eloy Jimenez and Yoan Mancada both have been chilling out the home runs. Yoan Mancada, 16 home runs, 306 average. Eloy Jimenez, 244 average, 17 dingers. James McCann is hitting above a 300 for this team as well. Yomer Sanchez has his average hovering right around a 250. Now you got a couple guys that are letting the team down with the bat. Jose Rendon. Yonder Alonso, Daniel Polka, Wellington Castillo, and there are a couple other guys that recently got picked up. They're not doing a great job with the bat. Ryan Cordell's hitting right around a 240. Charlie Tilson, more in the neighborhood of a 250. Meanwhile, with the Kansas City Royals, we've got a couple of very nice bats, and Jorge Soler certainly has been a nice power hitter. He's hitting just below a 250. He's went deep 25 times so far this year. You've got Whit Merrifield hitting above a 300, and you've got to love the wheels of Adalberto Mondesi. He right now leads the league with regards to stolen bases. He's got over 40 RBI himself, 267 average, and then you've got Hunter Dozier and Alex Gordon, both hitting between a 274 and a 278, but then the falloff is real. Cam Gallagher, 
Martin Maldonado, Lucas Duda, Chris Owings, Bubba Starling. I don't know who Bubba Starling is, but apparently Bubba Starling not getting the job done. And Billy Hamilton all hitting a 225 or lower. Chester Cuthbert has been nice. He's hitting a 285 himself, but all in all, you got a big divide between the haves and the have-nots of the Kansas City Royals, and I do think that Lucas Giolito, once again, going to be able to provide a quality start. I'm right now seeing the White Sox run line hovering right around a plus 125, currently in Wayne Simo, because I think I'm going to be able to get a little bit more of a favorable line there, but I'm going to be locking in under 8.5 between even and plus 105, whichever book I'm able to get to first is what I'm going to be locking in. All aboard the under and all aboard the run line of the White Sox. And we conclude with 969-970 on the bank rotation. As it is the LA Angels at home taking on the Houston Astros. For the Houston Astros on the betting board, it is currently listed as to be determined, which is why this game is currently off the board. Meanwhile, it will be Griffin Cannon going out there for the LA Angels, and it has been Angels in the outfield as of right now. And I'm seeing for the Houston Astros a starter of Josh James. It appears as though he is going to be the opener, and then Framber Valdez is going to be following him up. And if you saw Framber Valdez's last start, he wound up getting two outs and getting and giving up four earned runs against the Texas Rangers. Framber Valdez in ERA above five. He has actually been doing an okay job of being able to limit the long ball, but he just has no command. He's giving up over four walks per nine innings. And then with Josh James, I don't know if this is the gentleman that you necessarily want having as an opener. Now, he's been doing a very good job of getting strikeouts all year long. He's got 76 punchouts in 47 and two-thirds innings, but he's also given up seven long balls, 491 ERA for him. And Griffin Canning, he certainly has a home runs issue as well. In 65 innings, he's given up 13 home runs, 17 walks, so the command certainly is there, and he's getting over a strikeout per inning, which you like, but this is one of those spots where the LA Angels are continuing to play inspired baseball. Now, you do want to check the status of Mike Trout. If Mike Trout is going to be out for this game, it's going to dramatically change everything that I'm going to tell you right now because Mike Trout, 30 home runs, 305 average, He is arguably the most valuable player out there in baseball. And I don't even say arguably. He is the most valuable player out there in baseball. But we do have a couple other guys. They're doing a good job with their batting averages. Kevin Smith, Daniel Fletcher, and Dralton Simmons and Joey Otani. All in between a 290 and a 300. And you got to like the way that Joey Otani has been batting recently as well. He's got 14 home runs. Cole Calhoun has been doing a great job of being able to supply some power as well. He's got 21 home runs, 238 average for him. Albert Pujols is hitting a 234, but he still has a little bit of power in the bat as well. He's got 14 dingers. Justin Upton's hitting right around at 250 since coming off the injured list. You got to like that. Luis Rangifo is hitting right around at 260. We're noticing that Dustin Garneau is getting a lot of a lot of starts at the catcher spot with Jonathan Lucroy out. He's hitting right around a 255-ish. Justin Borsilling below the Mendoza line, but he's certainly been providing some pop as well. And then you take a look at the Houston Astros. Looks like they were able to get their bats online out there in Arlington. Alex Bregman has been doing a great job of being able to supply a little bit of everything in general. 267 average, 24 home runs for him. It looks like Jose Altuve and George Springer are finally back to their normal selves as well. Jose Altuve had a very good series and went deep in the game yesterday against the Texas Rangers. Meanwhile, you got Michael Brantley hitting at 322. Jordan Alvarez has been terrific hitting a 344. Yuri Gurriel, he is hot right now. 16 home runs, hitting over a 280. Josh Redick hitting a 293. Miles Straw hitting nearly a 280. Jake Marizic has seen a little bit of a dip. He's hitting a 243. And then Robinson Torinos. 
Tony Kemp and Tyler White are all hitting below a 230 for this team, but all in all, you are getting some great production out there on offense. This is one in which I'd be leaning towards the over, and I'd be leaning towards the LA Angels. This is a team that, like I said, they're just playing with so much emotion right now. It's a team I don't want to go against, and especially with Fran Barvaldez probably going to be pitching for the Houston Astros after Josh James opens the game. So those are my initial picks, but obviously we don't have lineups, so check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRSquirty1 for set plays there, which is also where you can ask any question if you have it for this fine podcast. A big thing Thanks to Christian Pino of the Gambling Podcast Network for joining me in the second segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. And let's make today a successful, profitable, and fun one. I'll talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.